All right, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If not, you can raise your hand and someone will pass one down to you. If you do not have a Bible, take that home with you. It's yours. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 6 through 10 this morning. And as we looked at verses 4 through 6 last week, verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Lord God, we come before you as living stones because you are the rock of our salvation. And your life is our life. Our lives are wrapped up in you. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would feed us, Lord, as your sheep, that you would build us as your church, Lord, and that we would lay out those sacrifices that are pleasing to you in our daily life and that they would rise to you as worship from hearts that have been redeemed from darkness and brought into your marvelous light. And so this morning, we we offer our hearts to you, we offer our ears to you now, Lord, and we we give you our minds. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. In verse four, by way of review, it says, as you come to him, living stones rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, Verse four speaks of us coming to him, the living stone. And as I mentioned last week, God throughout the Old Testament was called the rock. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock of our deliverance. And the idea of this is throughout the Old Testament, you see Moses striking the rock in the wilderness. And when the rock was struck, water came out. And those who were absolutely famished physically drank from that rock, and were satisfied. You see, David, in 1 Samuel 22, running from Saul, leaving the city of Gath, and and fleeing from that king, and running into the cave of Adullam. And as he ran into this cave, he likened it unto uh, running into God, his fortress, a rock of his salvation. And these pictures really are a picture of God as our rock, as our salvation, as our deliverer. And Jesus, as God is called, uh, Jesus is called the rock in the New Testament, basically. The Son of God is the rock of our salvation. The New Testament, those who run into him are saved. Amen. As Jesus was struck for us, and is his life poured out, and those who partake of him, who drink of him, who find their life from him, their soul runs into that living water, and they're sustained with everlasting life. As the scriptures say, that whoever believes upon him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus was killed and yet rose again from the grave. He is a living stone. He is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen and precious to him, that is God. Jesus was rejected and crucified by humans, and if we were there, we would probably be among the crowd that rejected him as well, as we all at one time in our lives have rejected him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray our own way. But he is precious to God. The scriptures say precious meaning of a measurable value. That's what that word means. And verse 5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so just as Christ was raised from the dead, we, being born again through faith in Christ, we enjoy partaking and sharing in his nature. Peter will talk about that in 2 Peter. But we partake in his nature, so we are also now like living stones. And that's the analogy that Peter is making there. And Peter uses the illustration of our new lives in Christ 
is being like a spiritual building, being built into a spiritual building and a spiritual priesthood. And again, this might not connect with us here in, in, in 2018 in America, but for the Jew who had been saved, their heritage was very much wrapped up in a building in a, in a priesthood. They would have totally understood what Peter was saying. And the priests of the Old Testament, they ministered to the Lord in the temple where they offered those sacrifices to God. But now in Christ, and this is the analogy that Peter is making, we are the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. You are the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells, that is, if you are in Christ, if you have been born again. By nature, when you are born again, the Spirit of God enters into your life, and you are made new, and He dwells in your life, in you. And so not only are we that spiritual building, we are also the spiritual priesthood of the new covenant. Now we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That is our role as his subject, as his children, as his clan. (laughs) As we'll kind of discover here, that we offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't offer animals Those were looking forward to Christ, all fulfilled in Christ. But what do we offer now as part of this spiritual priesthood? We offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. We offer our very lives to Him. That's what it is, a life of worship. A life where we are the animal, (laughs) so to speak, being sacrificed every day to the Lord. In that, we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. Amen? But we're not a dead sacrifice. We're alive. We're living. And, and I pointed out four examples of those spiritual sacrifices real quickly if you're taking notes. Just a reminder, because these are important of our daily lives now in Christ. Romans 12.1 is the first one. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice Our bodies meaning our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our physical bodies, every aspect of your life is to be offered as a spiritual sacrifice. Now, how many of you are going, I like the part where I do X, but Lord, I don't want to give you Y. You can have this offering, but you can't have this offering. How do you think the Lord is? with that. Did he die to purchase part of you? He died to purchase all of you. And actually, what Jesus teaches is that if you truly want to find life, you lay your life down. And so actually, when we hold on to those things, we're not experiencing his life. But when we give it up, we lay our lives down, we actually find out that we truly have life. How many of you have experienced that? You held on to an area of your life thinking that that was true life, and then eventually the Lord pressed upon your heart to lay that down to him and you willingly offered up that area of your life to him and, you, and actually life came out of it. I remember thinking, man, I, I, I have a bunch of friends and I, I, if I follow Christ, I'm gonna have to give up all my friends. And how many of you experienced that too? Relationships were gonna have to be cut. Things were gonna have to be out of your life that were no, they're just, they're, there was no room for roommates in my heart at that time. And I remember the Spirit said, this has to go. These people have to go. This whole thing. I said, Lord, but that, that's, I'll be alone. Are you going to follow me, Matt? And so, begrudgingly, I began to give those areas of my life up. And what he replaced it with was the body of Christ. He multiplied my family and my friends beyond measure, people who truly love and care for me deeper than the world ever has. It is so profound, but I didn't know. I felt like I held it on. So we are a living sacrifice. We give up our lives willingly to the Lord, knowing and trusting that he'll take care of us. Secondly, Hebrews 13, um, verse 15, says that through Jesus, we are to continually offer sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of praise. How many of you this morning are like, I don't want to sing this song? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's called a sacrifice of praise. Get on the altar. Lay down that self and open your mouth and your heart and start praising God because he is worthy. Amen? And it's hard sometimes, but once you, once you get over yourself and you start focusing on the Lord Jesus and you start making a joyful noise, and I understand the emphasis on noise a lot. The older I get, the more noisy my voice is. It's not doing what I want it to do anymore, even as a musician. It's like, so what? Praise him. He's so good, and as we focus on the Psalms and all these attributes of God, of who he is, his loving kindness, his patience, his gentleness, all these things towards us as we just look at his sovereign hand, as we look at his graciousness in Christ Jesus, all the goodness we have, the eternal promises, the riches that surpass all our circumstances, all these things that that begin to permeate our our hearts, we just go, thank you, and we begin to praise him, sacrifice of praise, amen? And that is what the church should be, is, is a bunch of people with God on our lips. Why? Because he's in our hearts. So sacrifice of praise. And if you keep reading in, in, in Hebrews 13, just in verse 16, it tells us the third and fourth. Just, these are just examples of things that are, are, are priestly sacrifices that are acceptable to God. This is to do good and to share with others. Do good and share. I mean, this is kindergarten, right? Uh, do good and share. But by nature, we, 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 we say we want to do good, but we, we really just, we don't. And, and do we really want to share? We want to share when it's convenient, right? And that's not the kind of good or the sharing that God is talking about. So we do good, meaning that we reprove others, we re- correct others. Like, what do you mean, is that good? That's good for them. <laughs> Make sense? We also help people because it's good for them. We uh, encourage people because it's good for them. We lay down our lives for them. We give them uh, our time, our talents, and treasures. The good Samaritan, you help those in need, right? All those types of pictures of doing good, reading scriptures, praising God, worshiping, putting the priorities of the kingdom over the priorities of the flesh. All those things are good works, amen? Led by the Spirit, hopefully. And then, obviously, share with others. What is sharing with others? It means you have resources that others need right around you. Right around you. You have resources that others need. And you're to draw out of your account, whether it be your time, your talent, your treasure, and you give to others, not expecting return not based upon how lovely they are or how beautiful they are, what they can give back to you or the benefit, but because you bestow goodwill upon them. And here's the example, just as God did with you. I was listening to, you know, um, just a praise report this morning from a home group, one of our home groups. Someone came up here from California and he and his wife, and they didn't have anything. They weren't expecting the cold of how cold it was, and it truly is. You, you, you think winter in California, and oh, rookie, you know. <laughs> Me too, right? Amen? <laughs> I totally like that, and then you just see the body of Christ, uh, that group come along and say, you know what? We're going to go love these people. We don't even know them. We're just going to bestow goodness on them, and you, you did, and that's just an example of, of, of how God works sharing and loving, and that is the family we've been born into. That is Christ, that is his nature, that is who he is, and we're his kids, we're his representatives. And so these are, these are all offerings that are pleasing to God. When we live like this, it's, it's a sacrifice that goes up to God and he goes, that's pleasing to me. And so often, uh, the Old Testament model was you give him a chunk of meat and you walk away. And now I live my life. But Jesus goes, no, you are the meat. (laughs) Get on the altar, sizzle. (laughs) Right? As the flesh dies and the the spirit lives. I don't know. My analogies might be broken in some ways. but I'm trying. You know what I mean, right? Don't physically hurt yourself. You got to do disclaimers. I should have someone up here disclaiming everything. I'm saying super fast speed. And so we pick up in verse six today where he says, for in scripture it says, see I laid a hole, I, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him 
will never be put to shame. Do you hear that, church? There's been a precious cornerstone laid in Zion, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter's quoting Isaiah 28, 16, and Isaiah the prophet is prophesying 700 years before Christ. Uh, What was going on 700 years ago? That's a long time, just that's my point. 700 years before Christ prophesying that a stone in Zion would be laid. And Zion is synonymous for Israel. It's synonymous for actually Jerusalem. Jerusalem is quite often called Zion. And actually, if you you even go a little further, you see that the new Jerusalem is Zion, and, and you can get into that. But Jerusalem is where the physical temple was laid, and, and Isaiah is looking forward uh, 700 years to when the Messiah, the chosen one of God, would come to provide a way of deliverance for um, Israel and for mankind, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, and this deliverance would take place in, in, in Zion, in Jerusalem, I, Isaiah says 700 years before. And Isaiah likens the Messiah to a precious cornerstone, a precious cornerstone, a cornerstone of immeasurable value. That's what that word precious means. And when I visited Jerusalem back in 2001, I was, I was pretty much blown away at that everything was pretty much built in stone. Um, it was, everything was just built out of this, I don't know, sandstone or whatever it was. It was quite something to, to see the architecture, the modern architecture, um, you know, hotels, all these things built with, out of stone and, and having come from a concrete place that was interesting, but not much wood going on there. It wasn't around, but wood was is very, uh, very scarce in those areas. And in modern construction, when you're building something, all of you pretty much know this, you see that the foundation is poured. You have concrete, you pour the foundation, and then you build the building on top of that. And that, that foundation has to be built in a specific way in order to carry the load of the rest of the building. But back in ancient Jerusalem, the foundations of large structures like the temple were built from huge, massive stones, massive stones. Um, even now, when I was in Jerusalem, there's a group called the Temple Mount Faithful, and they're, I think they're ultra-Orthodox Jews. They're wanting um, to rebuild the third temple, because the first temple and the second temple have been destroyed. They want to rebuild the third temple on the Temple Mount, where the mosque is, right? Um, and so what they do is, is they have all the instruments built for all these things, and they've identified people. But one of the things they have is a cornerstone, the cornerstone of the new temple. And they went ahead in 2009, they took it, and they marched it around the city, and it was a big, giant thing. But they're hoping to place that stone as the cornerstone. And they would look to verses like this to justify that, but they are pointing to a physical stone. They're pointing to a physical stone for a physical building. And really, the most important stone in ancient architecture was the cornerstone. It was the stone that would be placed and everything else had a measurement off of it. It was precious in that it held the, everything else in the building had a relationship to that stone. It was placed in accordance to it and on top of it, and if it, it was placed in a certain way and another stone was off from it, it would be off, not the cornerstone. And so everything had to be plumb to the cornerstone. Everything had to square up with it and if it was not squared, the building would be off. And so the cornerstone was the most crucial foundational stone in the entire building and Isaiah says that God put Christ as the cornerstone in Zion. The Messiah would be the cornerstone laid in Jerusalem And those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Do you see the picture? So God is building his church. He is building his church, the spiritual building. And this spiritual building, its foundation is Christ. He is the cornerstone on which everything else built upon it is measured and built upon If your life is built upon and squared with Jesus Christ this morning, then you will never be put to shame. You will never be dishonored or disgraced 
as the Greek implies with that word, the shamed. On that day when you are standing before God, you will be found to be squared up and built upon Jesus Christ. You will not be cast away. You will not be uh, put to shame, dishonored. And so the most important question that every single human being will face, every one of you in this room, myself included, is your life built upon Jesus Christ? Where, who, where are you in relationship to Jesus Christ? Is your life built upon him? Is he your savior? Is he your rock? Is he it? Is he the foundation of your soul, of your life? And if so, do you love and obey him? Is your life squared with him now? Is your life built upon the rock? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon what? The rock. The rock of what? The rock of the ground. He's using an analogy. He is the rock. What he says is the rock. The rain, verse 25, came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It will never be put to shame. It will never be disgraced. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, is, who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. I think we try to separate out salvation from loving and obeying Jesus Christ. And I say it's the whole, the whole enchilada. It is all intact and together. To believe upon Christ to save is to believe upon him and to repent and to believe and to love and obey him continually. I think that's what the scriptures share. Do we blow it? Of course. But how do we know we blow it and what do we line our lives up with? what the radio says about what to do in a certain circumstance? Well, we go back to what he says. Why? He's my rock. His words are life to me. My life is in him. It's on him. It's connected to him. If I'm off from the rock, I'm off from the rock. I reconnect to the rock. Everything he says is how I square my life. That's how we're, we all have unity. It's not upon what you think and what I think and all these things. It's about what he says. And so we unite over what he says because he is the head. He is the head of the church, amen? And so at the end of your days when you stand before God, you will never be put to shame. You will never be disgraced or dishonored. Why? Verse 7 now to you who believe, this stone is precious. He's precious to us. Is Christ precious to you this morning? Is he of immeasurable value? Again, the word precious means of great worth, of high esteem, of immeasurable value, unequal value. That's what a Christian's life proclaims. Do you know that? That's what a Christian's life really proclaims, that Jesus, our cornerstone, he is precious. He is of the greatest worth to me. He is highly esteemed. He is of unequal value to me compared to any other person in this room or on the earth or that has ever lived. He is of the greatest value to me. Is that, is that what's going on in our hearts? And I understand that we waver and we go, okay, well, but I mean, truly, is your life built up? Is he so precious if he were to say, this is what I would like you to do, that you just go, okay, Lord, whatever you say. You know what I mean? And not only that, do you, do you love him? Do you, do you value him? Notice in, it quickly that in verses four, six, and seven, if you just gaze real quickly, look in verse four and six and seven. It says the stone is what? Precious. See that word precious three times? It's precious to whom? It's precious to God, right? And now what does Peter say in verse seven? Now to you who believe, what? This stone is precious. 
Isn't it interesting, when you become born again, God changes you and he makes the things that are precious to him precious to you. That's an incredible indicator that someone is born again, that the affections of their hearts change. The affections of their hearts change. They change from the things that were precious to them to the things that is precious to God. Christ becomes precious in your life. You value him. What does that mean? Well, what does Christ value? Good question. You probably want to figure that out, right? What does he value? That's, what, that's why we're getting together here this morning. We're talking about God and the things he values and how he builds his kingdom, and we conform our lives to what he says. That we, he is precious, and so we no longer walk in our ways, but we, we are changed by him. We're changed in our speech, in, in our actions, in our deeds, our time, our treasures, in our talents, all these things are, are, are in light of, of who he is. And you go, Lord, you are so precious in my life that I have this. How can I use it for you? I'm yours now. What do you, what do you want? I'm, I'm here for you. And you seek ways to please him. There's a song we used to sing when I first came to the Lord. It's called More Precious Than Silver. How many of you remember that song? It's pretty cool. Yeah, the line says... Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with you. Just of his great worth. I love that. And the words fall short of expressing his worth and how much we love him, but he is a measurable value to us. That is what a Christian expresses. When you're around a Christian, you find out what's really valuable, what's really precious to them. And if you talk to me for maybe a few minutes, yeah, I might talk about football or, you know, hunting or guns or whatever it is. We talk about all that type of stuff. But, but it all just kind of eventually goes back to the Lord, you know? And, and that's what I find about when we hang about with Christians. You know, we talk about things, we have excitement, we have common interests, and those things are good. I don't want to, you know, sit there and say we should be monks in a lotus position for 500 years. You know, no. You know, I mean, I was going to talk about the Chargers and the Seahawks, but I won't. <laughs> you guys had a great game. Yeah, but Jesus kind of just filters into our hearts and our lives. What's he doing in your soul? Those things are fun, but when it gets down past that superficial layer, you find that, man, what's the Lord doing? What's his kingdom about? What's my part in it? Oh, Lord, you know, my kids are going berserk. Help. You know, and you just kind of, he's it. He's just right, he's right there. And that's what a Christian is. But when you tap into some people, and, and they're going to church and they do all these things, there's nothing right? It's not there. And I beg to, and it's just been my experience over the years that those people most likely have not been born again. They haven't been changed from the inside out because when the Spirit of God is in a person, He's in, he's in a person. It's, it's unmistakable. There's a change that happens in our hearts and attitudes. And I know it might be challenging this morning. You might be going, okay, pastor, you're judging well, I mean, we judge people by the fruit, right? So I'm saying if this morning you're kind of like, man, I'm just not really interested in Jesus. Well, that's important. Go before God and say, Lord, I don't have this. Will you change me? Will you come into my life? And he will. He will come in and he will save you and he will bump into your heart and he will take residence and he'll start messing with you in deep and profound ways because his life grows. That's how you know a Christian is a Christian because love for Christ is what separates us from everything else. He is precious to us. And by the way, the things that are precious to him begin to become precious to us. And so therefore, I start to not do softball on a, on a Thursday night and I start to go to worship practice as a 20-year-old. Why? Because Christ is more precious to me than softball. And by the way, that might be that I'm going to start going to softball to go hang out with some people who need Jesus, amen? 
So I'm not trying to, I'm just saying that was an example of my life. But it was, it's about him. And so, that's our relationship to the stone. But listen, he says there in verse seven, but to those who do not believe, basically verse seven, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And verse eight, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Jesus is one or the other. He's precious to you or he's a stone of stumbling. He's one or the other. That's what all of humanity is grouped into two groups. Those who find Christ precious and those who reject him and are eventually stumbled by him. If Christ is the cornerstone placed by God for all men to build their lives upon, what happens when men reject God's precious cornerstone? What happens? And Peter lays it out here by quoting the Old Testament What happens when men reject the only salvation that God offers? What happens when women reject the relationship with Jesus Christ? What happens when humanity says, no, thank you, Jesus, I have life in myself? Psalm 118.22, good one to write down. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders that Isaiah was referring to here were the spiritual leaders of Israel. That's what he's talking about. The spiritual leaders of Israel These guys were building a spiritual house. They were supposed to be building a spiritual house, but they didn't. They were supposed to be leading people in the things of God, but they didn't. And when Christ came on the scene, they rejected him. They had the scriptures, they had the prophecies, they knew them, they studied them, yet when Christ came on the scene, they inspected Jesus and they rejected him. They discarded him because they were building a building that suited their needs, and they were not building the spiritual building that God had designed for them to do. And so their building was all about pontificating and hypocrisy and greed instead of a building where the broken and contrite spirits worshiped God. And so they rejected the cornerstone. They rejected Christ and his kingdom. They were cruci- and they crucified him, but nevertheless, he was the cornerstone of the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, of which we are now a part. And although they did not, they tried to get rid of him, right? They tried to get rid of him. They did not. He rose again. You can't get rid of him. And Peter quotes Isaiah 8, 14, which says that not only Christ was he the cornerstone, he was also a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the picture is that the same rock they discarded and threw off to the side later would cause them to stumble and be crushed. You can't get away from Christ. And so Peter's saying at the end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And there are two relationships that a person has to Jesus Christ. It's very important for you to know this morning. Either you hear and by faith you obey his voice and he becomes your rock of refuge, that's one. Or number two, you hear and disobey his voice and that disobedience leads to Christ becoming a rock of stumbling in that your rejection of him will one day end in your judgment at his hand There's no middle ground with Christ. Either you obey him and have eternal life or you reject him, which leads to judgment, eternal separation from God in hell. And Jesus said in John 3, 36, to put it this way, another great one to write down, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains upon him. Heavy verses. Jesus Speaking of those who reject Christ, Jesus in Matthew 21, 44, speaking on these very verses, Jesus said, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone to whom it falls will be crushed. And Jesus, both some of these people take these verses to mean that one, okay, God, you get broken and you have a broken heart. No, both are judgment. God is talking to people who are rejecting Christ. And he says, you can try to attack me, you're gonna be crushed, or you can just try to ignore me, you're gonna be crushed. That's Jesus' game plan. For those who either attack him or reject him, they're gonna get crushed. Isn't that horrible? That's the side of God we don't like to talk about. 
the God who will judge the universe. And so what are we actually being saved from? Being crushed. Isn't that interesting? In other words, there will be no place to hide. You can fall on him and attack him where you can neglect him and reject him. Either way, you will be broken to pieces and crushed to powder is the picture. That's Jesus speaking. How inconsiderate. How closed-minded. How narrow of him to say that people can't reject him, or if they choose to, that they will be crushed and judged. That is the message, that the way is narrow, church. That is the message of Christianity. The world hates it, and they will reject him. It will cause them to stumble because it is so narrow. He is the cornerstone of all life. He is the one by whom we will all be judged, are our lives squared with him. And those who have heard the gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins and respond in faith, listen, is that you today? Have you heard his voice to repent and believe in him? If so, if so, to those who hear his voice and obey, respond to the gospel, you will never be put to shame. That is a precious promise. You will never be crushed. You will never be disgraced. No, actually, you become children of the living God. You become born again. You have his life, his eternal life. That is an exceedingly precious promise to those who believe he is precious, but to those who reject him, they're gonna stumble and he'll crush them. And by the way, that's no joy of the Lord's. He desires that all should come to repentance and all should perish. And that is why he saved you, that you would know how precious he is and that you would be the light in the world now, in the darkness. That you would proclaim to that neighbor, that relative, whoever it might be, that boss, that son, that daughter, you would proclaim Jesus Christ, not only by what we say, but how we live. So important by what we live. Amen? And Christ is proclaimed through his church. And they see the love that we have for one another and the changed lives that we have and how we take care of one another and how we give like God gave to us. And, and they look on that and they go, what in the world is that? And we go, listen, we had nothing. And God came in and he loved us and he rescued us. He sent his only son to die on our behalf. I don't deserve it, but he was so good to me. And that is why I'm good to you. <laughs> you know you're a booger, you know? <laughs> and that's just the love of Christ pouring through the church. But to those who disobey God's clear call to turn from sin and turn towards Christ to be saved, man, they stumble. And Peter says, is to which they were also destined for. People take that a lot of ways, but I, I believe it's not that God destined their disobedience, but that God but that those who disobey are destined for judgment. That is the, destined for the, the destination for those who disobey Christ, who've dis, who, who disregard Christ. They are destined for destruction. That is where people go who reject Christ. So do you know Christ this morning? And this is what I'm praying for the church, not only that we would know Christ, that we would make him known. Who around you does not know the Lord? And it's not through your, your, your eloquence of speech. That's part of the stumbling block is that Jews, they, des- they required a sign. The, the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. And we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block. 
There's nothing really super spectacular you know, in, in, in the, the message as far as the world. Why isn't it more complicated, sophisticated? Because desire, Christ desires that all should repent and believe. Jesus died for your sin. Believe. Turn and believe and you'll be saved. Simple as that. Let the Spirit of God have power in the gospel. The power is in the gospel, not in you necessarily. You are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's in the message. It's in the seed. We cast the seed. There's life in it. Cast the seed, church. Amen? Even if it's a a mumbling sentence, God can take that and use it. Even if it's an email, even if it's a card, if it's it's just an open door, love to this world in this darkness. And Peter says that they were destined for, de- for destruction, basically, to stumble. God's wrath remains upon them, but, we desi- but Christ desires that all would repent. And says, there in verse nine, it says, but you, you church, and here's where we're gonna end, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Write that down about yourself. This is what God says about you in Christ Jesus. You, and by the way, the you is a y'all. We're not, although we are individually um, precious in God's sight, he's, he's not talking about the individual here. He's saying that you've been brought into the body of Christ. You guys. Y'all are a chosen people. Amen? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And again, Peter lets Christians know um, who they are as Christians and then what their response should be. And so in verse nine, Peter identifies quickly four ways. We're chosen people, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is who you are in Christ. Again, you see Peter going, this is who you are, this is what he's done, this is what you do. This is who you are, this is what he's done, this is what you do. That's what he keeps doing, back and forth. And he uses all these different images to try to paint the picture for us to change our thinking in Christ. You should walk away and go, I am the temple of the Spirit. We are the temple where Jesus, the Spirit, dwells as the church. We are the priesthood, not that guy on the stage. We are the priesthood. I have a ministry. I'm a minister. Did you know that? You have ministry. You're ordained. Boom. Now go do it. Right? That's who we are in Christ. And so he says, but you are chosen people. Again, here we go. And he's reading out of, out of Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. Just, just bear with me for a few more minutes. This is speaking back in ancient Israel when they've, they've been delivered from uh, Egypt. They've, they're about to go back into the land and Moses is retelling the law to them. That's what Deuteronomy means, retelling of the law. And he says to them, he says, for you are a people uh, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his holy people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest people on earth, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so just as God saved the Hebrews out of the bondage of slavery, amen, so God has delivered us out of the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ, the Son. And this is the imagery that Peter is using. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into his wonderful light. We've been delivered out of Egypt into the kingdom of God. And so we are first, Peter reminds us that we are those who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. We are chosen people. As already has been stated there several times, we're chosen by God because of his love for us, for God so loved. And as a result, we're now a royal priesthood, quickly going through these four. We are already spoken about as a priesthood, but By the way, the priesthood is not just the spiritual sacrifices that we do. It's a royal priesthood. That means it's a family, a kingdom of priests. 
Revelation 5, 9 through 10 records for us the response of the 24 elders as the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He's taken the scroll. No one else is worthy. He opens up the scroll, and then all of a sudden, the elders start singing, and they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation on the earth even. Walla, walla. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve God, and they will reign on the earth. And so it's not just that we have a spiritual, um, it's not that just we have a spiritual uh, purpose in the church. We're actually going to reign and rule with Christ. We're rulers. So ministering to Christ and ruling with Him, and we are a holy nation. In other words, we're set apart from the world. Holy. A nation means a people group. You're a special people. You've been called out of the world. That's what the church means, the called out ones. But you haven't just been called out of the world. You've been called what? To Christ. To Christ. Do you not know 1 Corinthians 6? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, holy nation, then God's special possession. The word possession means to purchase. Church, do you know that you were purchased by God? Purchased. 1 Corinthians 6 says in verse 19 through 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We were purchased. Peter goes on, and he already says that in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things that you were purchased, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are a chosen people, a holy people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Why? And this is where I want to end. Why? What does it say? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. God did this so that you will declare his praises. And just like the Hebrews delivered from the slavery of Egypt, we were taken from the pit of slavery of sin and put in the palace of grace. And now you're to declare his praises. The word declare is the word exagelo. I want to say exagelo. That's not how you say it, but that's how I want to say it. You're to exagelo his praises. Two words combined, ex meaning abundant or heartily, like expound, exclaim, you know? And angelo meaning uh, 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 messenger, like angel. You're to exclaim the message. You're to, you're to proclaim. It's not just like a, hey, how you doing? It's, it's a resounding, like you're over-angeling it. You're going crazy, Right? It's a loud, joyous declaration. Again, another shameless plug for our Thanksgiving service tonight. 7 p.m., come prepared to declare his praises. And the word for praises is excellencies. Focusing on all the virtues of God, his excellencies, reasons to praise God, just in case you forgot uh, your reasons to declare his praises already. Verse 10, Peter helps us. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you were, this is who you are. You were not a people, you were without mercy, but now guess what? You are a people, you are the church, and you have received the mercy of God. Declare his praises. In other words, you were born into the family of God. Have you been born into the family of God this morning? I'm not talking about you going to church all your whole life. Please do not translate that into that. You can go to church and you can be religious and you can be dead as a doornail. Christ desires to not just be in this building. He wants to be in your heart. And that requires you to surrender to him right now. If not, you will be crushed. And I don't want to use negative, you know, but that's what Jesus says but eternal life is yours. Repent and believe, and he will come into your heart right now. It is his promise. 
and you who have believed, you are a special possession. You have a family now. You are part of a people. You are part of a nation. You are part of a priesthood of believers that extends beyond these walls and goes into every tongue, tribe, and nation of people called out of those places who will be eternally in his presence. All by God's mercy. Psalm 107, verses 1 1 through 3, ending. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and the south. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. That's not just me. That's you. You're the redeemed of the Lord. You have a story to tell, a praise to proclaim. Whether it's tonight at the service, you just sit there and say, Lord, I want to thank you for so-and-so, or you read a verse or whatever it might be. I want to encourage the body to participate tonight. There's going to be little to zero talking up here. But throughout this week, as you just spend time thinking about thankfulness, the things you're thankful for, tell your story, proclaim it to the Lord in the car with your kids while you're cooking, while you're going crazy shopping on Friday, whatever it is, just thank him. Amen? Lord, you are so good. You've given us a deep and rich salvation. And Lord, I want to thank you for these chunky verses, Lord. And I ask, Lord, as we stand in your presence, Lord, now, as we call out to you in the goodness of everything that you've done for us, Lord, that you would just capture our hearts afresh. That we would have the breeze of your spirit blow into our lives again that whatever room we've decided you can't go into in our hearts, Lord, we would open the door and say, come in. And there might be tons of stuff. There might be like five locks on that door. Lord, would you bust through and take out, take all of us. You're so good. We just give you our lives now, afresh and anew. Receive your worship and your honor. It's fitting that we should declare your praises in the name of Jesus, amen.